The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 19th chapter. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble, said he's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is the beginning of Stewardship Week here at Gloria Day, and though the topic of stewardship, biblically speaking, uh, is surely about a lot more than just money, surely about a lot more than just money, uh, this week at Gloria Day, um, each year we do lean into the topic of stewardship as it does, biblically speaking, um, relate to money, which of course over the years I've learned can prompt the occasional, um, how should we say, not cheerful but cranky giver um, to say, why is the church always talking about money when we should be talking about spiritual things? Um, I don't know if they have that tone of voice. I actually have had very few people ever say that to me, but I think some think it. The response to that, of course, is that, first of all, this congregation and its pastors, anyway, don't always talk about money. Um, but we do talk sometimes about money. One reason being that Lutherans, uh, anyway, call their pastors to, to preach Bible-based sermons. And you can't do that without talking sometimes about money. Because in the Bible, there are, give or take, 2,350 verses concerning money, which is almost twice as many as verses about faith and prayer combined. Plus, uh, Lutherans say we really want our preachers to preach Jesus, who it turns out had a lot to say about money. Nearly 15% of everything Jesus said related to money and possessions, as opposed to what he said about sexual orientation, which is nothing at all. In addition, 16 out of his 38 parables relate in some way to the topic of money. And you read those passages and you discover, contrary to the cranky giver's complaint, that the church should talk about spiritual things instead of money. You discover that in the view of the Bible overall, and in the view of Jesus in particular, to talk about money is precisely spiritual. For there is an inherent connection says scripture, between the health of a person's spiritual life and their attitudes and actions regarding money and possessions. 
For those of you who are Gloria Day members and supporters, we will lean into that topic this week because, as our stewardship chair, uh, Greg Maxwell, will make clear just a little bit later, uh, it's the time of year when we invite Gloria Day members and supporters prayerfully to consider and then to let us know what their intent is. What I mean, this isn't a contract, but what their hope is, if, if things go next year the way they hope they will, in terms of financially supporting the mission and ministries of Gloria Day in 2020. 23. And we do that because this congregation does things um, that cost money. Not everything we do, maybe not even the majority of things that we do as a church cost money, but there are things that we do that cost money, whether it's for our staff programming or for the building, or as was the case last year, the 100, and this is a, this is a great number, uh, the $188,000 that Gloria Day um, gave to support mission and ministry beyond the walls of this building, both locally and worldwide. $188,000 was given away, and all of that money, whether it was spent here or out beyond our walls, has only one place that it comes from, and that is from our members and supporters who believe that the Lord of this church calls us faithfully here and out in the world to be his church. And as it turns out, some of the faithful ways that we believe we are called specifically to be the church cost money. So that's the topic for the day and the plan for the coming week. I do want to say that if you happen to be a visitor today, um, that part about making a financial commitment to Gloria Day, this does not apply to you. Don't feel your arm being twisted or coerced. But I also want to say that the stuff that the Bible and Jesus have to say about money and possessions and spiritual health kind of in general, I want to say that if Scripture is to be believed, that applies to all of us, uh, all of us. What I'm going to do here today is lead a brief tour of the four scripture passages we read today and which do speak each in their own way to the topic of faith and money. The first is from Deuteronomy, where Moses, having led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, is now 40 years later preaching to them on the boundary of the promised land before he soon dies and Joshua then will lead them into the promised land, the land of their ancestors Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You will thrive there, Moses tells them. You will have fine houses to live in. You will have your fill to eat. Your herds and your flocks will be multiplied. Your silver and your gold will be multiplied. All that you have will be multiplied. And then, a little paraphrase, but here's Moses' contribution to our stewardship sermon this year. When that happens, he said, when you have all the money and possessions that you will have, do not then exalt yourself or say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But rather remember the Lord your God, for it is God who gives you the power and the abilities that you do have and will use to obtain your wealth. Biblical stewardship principle number one. There is no such thing as a self-made person. Seriously, that concept is entirely foreign to Scripture. For in Scripture's view, all that we have and all that we are and all that we can be sprouts from the soil of all that God has given us and all that God has created us to be. 
biblical stewards, being people who actually believe that. When they think about giving to the church or giving to any good cause or good thing, don't stingily think to themselves, how much of what is mine am I going to part with, but rather think to much themselves, how much of what I've been given am I going to give, give back or give away? Because I can and because I'm grateful for that. Biblical stewards, at the bottom of their hearts, don't most of all consider a donation or a pledge to the church or some other good cause mostly as a matter of giving, but rather as a matter of gratefully giving back. Which takes us to our psalm for today, which reads, Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving. Into your hands, O Lord, in your hands are the caverns of the earth. The height of the hills are also yours. The sea is yours. You made it. Your hands have molded the dry land. The sea is yours. The heights of the hills are yours. The land is yours. Biblical stewardship principle number two. God isn't just the giver of all. God is the owner of all. This is the principle which actually gives us the word stewardship and its root word steward, for which, if that word steward isn't in your playbook, you can substitute the word manager, as in, for example, when someone is the owner of a business or a property and they entrust it to someone else to manage. A manager in that case is the same thing as a steward because stewards are people who specifically do not do what they do with things because they own them and therefore are looking out to their interests, but rather because the owner has entrusted things to them and therefore they look out for the interests and purposes of the owner. And God, says Scripture, is the owner of all. And so in the Bible's worldview, which if you don't happen to hang on to, hold to this worldview, sounds like one of the goofiest things you've ever heard, but in the Bible's worldview, I may have a piece of paper saying a piece of land is mine. But that is just for the sake of how we interact with each other in this life. For ultimately, even if my mortgage is fully paid, there's not a grain of dust on this earth that is ultimately mine. I just get to steward it for a while. Which, if I do so faithfully, those whom it is entrusted to after me will find that it has been cared for. That I did well by it and that I did good for more than just myself with it. Which takes us to our reading from 1 Timothy today, where the theme of money as indeed and precisely a spiritual matter is explicitly stated. As Paul writes, There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, 
Some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The message translation puts it this way, a devout life does bring wealth, but that wealth is the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. It's not, if it's only money that people are after, they will self-destruct in no time. Lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and, and live to regret it bitterly ever after. Biblical stewardship principle number three, money in and of itself is neither inherently good nor inherently bad. And surely in this world we all need some of it because we all need things like food and clothing and housing. But if in your heart and mind money is elevated and idolized and loved and lusted for as inherently the greatest thing there is, there will be no good. Spiritually speaking, relationally speaking, ultimately speaking, that results from that. There will, on the other hand, be much that is very, very good for you and for others that you sacrifice, having left it on money's altar as you knelt worshiping at money's feet. Which takes us to our gospel reading for today and someone you may have heard of, Zacchaeus. But let's go to Zacchaeus by way of my news feed last week and someone else you may have heard of, Elon Musk, who a reporter on my news feed wrote last week is, quote, the richest person in the world, unquote. At which point I then had, and I hope this doesn't trouble you that I do this, I, I then had an imaginary conversation with said reporter. As I, in my head, said to the reporter, why do people say that Elon Musk, of all people, is the richest person in the world? To which she replied, because he has more money than anyone else in the world. To which, in this conversation now continuing in my head, I said, no, 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 I get that, but you don't get my point. I'm asking you, who decided that when it comes to being truly rich, the thing that truly measures that, is money, which takes us to our gospel reading today, where this man named Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector for the Romans, was, everybody knew this, the richest person in Jericho. Right up until the time he himself is the one who realized that he wasn't. Because he had lots of money, Lots of money. I mean, in the Roman taxing system, which was that they told you how much you needed to raise, and then you told people how much they needed to pay, and depending on how much you wanted to kind of work them a little bit, everything you got beyond what you needed to pay was yours as a bonus. And so if you were willing to do take advantage of your neighbors just a little bit or a little bit more, the bonus could be huge. And money, being the love of his life, Zacchaeus, working the system, had lots of it. But he didn't have 
Well, any true friends, for starters. He just had friends who liked him for his money. He didn't have any family. He'd sacrificed that possibility long ago at the altar of making money. He didn't have the respect of anyone in town. Even the Romans, whose money he raised, had no respect for him. They knew what he was doing to his neighbors and considered himself, they considered him a slime ball. He didn't even have, and this had been occurring to him more of late, he didn't, he didn't even have any respect for himself. He knew what he was doing to his neighbors and more and more lately thought of himself as a slime ball. Plus, and most importantly, he didn't have, well, something he didn't even know what it was, except he knew that he didn't have it. And money couldn't buy it. Right about then, a buzz started buzzing in Jericho. Jesus was coming. The buzz buzzed. And it was electric. Zacchaeus had heard of Jesus. You couldn't not have heard of Jesus by this time. I should go see what, what the buzz is all about, Zacchaeus thought to himself. And as he did think that, something, well, electric sparked a little spark in his heart. He went to the route Jesus was traveling, and he was very short, so he couldn't see um, over the crowd of people who were already there. Plus, well, he was the slimeball tax collector Zacchaeus, so it's not like anybody was going to be kind and let him through to the front of the crowd so he could see. So really wanting to see Jesus, he did the only thing he could think of doing. There was a large sycamore tree, and he climbed it, and he looked a little silly, knobby knees hanging on either side of a large branch, but nobody was looking at him. They were looking at Jesus coming their way, and now from the tree, Zacchaeus was looking at Jesus too. And for a reason or reasons Zacchaeus couldn't put words to, he was excited. And then Jesus stopped and looked up in the tree. And everybody else in the crowd looked up the tree too. As Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I need to stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus, eager to welcome him, scrambled right down. But as they left for Zacchaeus' house, the buzz started grumbling. He's going to the house of that slime ball? And they got to Zacchaeus' house where Jesus didn't ask him for a single thing that money could buy. He just, apparently, loved him. Even though he was who he was and everyone else and Jesus knew who he was. And loved with love like the love of Jesus, the spark in his heart became a flame, and the flame became a promise, and the promise became a confession, and the confession became another promise. Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, he said. And if I have defrauded anyone, and I have, I will pay back four times as much. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus realized, just like 
this. He now was with Jesus, the richest person in town. Which takes us to biblical stewardship principle number four, which I will let Paul spell out from that last part of our reading from 1 Timothy. As for those who in the present age are rich financially, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works and generosity and sharing, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really and truly and richly is life. Amen.